This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin and guest host Eric Giacometti. Tonight, we got a, we got a big, big show, folks. Not only are we going to talk about the Red Bulls' 3-0 demolition of Toronto FC, continuing this hot, hot run by the Red Bulls, 7-1-1 in their last nine games, pushing them through the rarefied air uh, in MLS East and the league table. We're going to talk to the captain of the New York Red Bulls, Dax McCarty, who has some fantastic things to say about the system, his teammates, their focus, and some really, really interesting comments about his prospects for the U.S. men's national team. And then we'll get to your emails. That's how we roll on Seeing Red. Eric, it's such a pleasure to have you uh, in the co-host chair tonight. It's an absolute honor, Mark. I'm uh, hoping I can fill in just like uh, Dan. and I would say Dave, but you know that would mean I wouldn't be here, so. <laughs> I know it's going to be great. So New York, after beating New York City FC, has yet another home game, playing very, very well at home, the Red Bulls are. Again, they are playing one of the top attackers in the league in Giovinco, Michael Bradley returning to New Jersey, Josie Altador returning to New Jersey, uh, wearing the wrong uniform, and the the high press went into gear, and New York was able to, to grind and create and shut out yet another team. Yeah, it was a pretty complete performance from top to bottom. And uh, despite a lot of the consternation that surrounded, uh, you know, once once people found out what the back line was going to be with, you know, no Kamar Lawrence, mm. Duval's been out, you know, and uh, Paranel being out with that suspension. Uh, There's a lot of people wondering, you know, is this is this going to be a meltdown? Uh, because you have one of the most potent attacks in MLS. You have Jovinko, you have Josie, you had Michael Bradley, uh, Hercules Gomez just signed coming off the bench, so. There was potential for disaster, but uh, just a complete defensive performance to, to shut down uh, what looks to be the MVP frontrunner and uh, just an absolute domination from top to bottom. And when you think about the job that the Red Bulls have done over this uh, recent stretch, three matches against David Villa, no goals. Right, he's got 13 or 14 on the season. Giovinco comes in 16 goals, 11 assists on the year on the season. Nothing from him, and so Kaka, no goals in Orlando. Kaka, no goals in Orlando. So here we have the the offensive stars of the league uh, just being completely nullified by the high press, and as you said, going up against a starting lineup that you would not necessarily have a tremendous amount of confidence in. Obviously, Damian Perrinel uh, suspended, Kamar Lawrence injured, Chris Duvall still out, and it really just, it almost doesn't matter who they're putting in there. Yeah, it's it's been pretty remarkable, and, you know, not only is it the defense, not only has it been Luis Robles, who continues to be stellar, but, you know, the, the work from the forwards and the midfielders to press and just create havoc all over the field has caused teams fits, and it's not a surprise that teams aren't, you know, shocked to see how the Red Bulls are playing. I, I spoke with Toronto's head coach, Greg Vanny, I spoke with Michael Bradley after the game, and they both said the same thing. We knew what was coming. We knew that they were going to press us all over the pitch, but we just couldn't deal with it. Uh, they, they were, you know, moving the ball back and forth, left to right. Uh, they couldn't get any penetration. They resigned to throwing the ball up long, uh, trying to get Jovinko on the end of something, but Miazga and we met did a pretty good job on him there. So, uh, you know, creating turnovers in the midfield, you're never going to be able to uh, sustain any link-up play when you know you can't possess the ball. They had lots of lots of turnovers, and the Red Bulls took advantage in every way. Yeah, they did. Toronto three shots on goal in the entire match, 
and Robles made all three saves, uh, certainly quality saves, and that was really all she wrote. I, I do, obviously, you, you can't say enough, <laughs> Anthony Wallace oh looked as surprised as anyone in the stadium <laughs> when his shot went in, and when you consider that five minutes earlier, if it was even five minutes, right. Wallace took a shot from about 25 yards that landed... Uh, you know, I think it's it, it's still going up. I mean, that was a Sayersen redo. I think it's still, you know, we went right over the Passaic River. And for him to have the confidence, frankly, to get the ball in another situation, slightly different place on the field, and to let it go really speaks to the empowerment that Jesse Marsh is a, uh, is pumping up uh, his young players. Yeah, he, he absolutely instills a ton of confidence in his team. And it's funny, uh, I talked to some of the players after the game, and Dax in particular was saying, you know, we know Wally has that left foot. We know what he can do from that distance. And, you know, as surprised as, as he looked and as surprised as some fans were, maybe we really shouldn't be because this is the third time he's done that from just about the same spot. He did it mm. uh, earlier in the spring with uh, the USL team Red Bulls too. He did it against New England from basically the same spot, and then he does it again against Toronto. So he's making a habit of uh, of coming forward and just cracking it from distance, which, you know, for all the uh, Roy Miller uh, sympathizers out there, you know, shed a little bit of tears. He's been with the team since 2010, has yet to score a goal, and uh, you know, third choice left back gets two in one season. So, uh, not sure uh, what to make of that, but uh, looks like Wallace has the magic touch from that area. For sure. Of course, we get another Grelandino, uh terrific pass, squirting a ball through, opening, unlocking the Toronto defense, which is not a good defense. I mean, they're they're not a good defensive team, and uh, giving up uh, more than two goals on the road this season, and and did just that. Uh, Bradley with a great finish, and then I think Red Bull fans were salivating at the end of the game, not only watching Verone's speed, but his distribution, and then positioning in the right place in the right time to, to score the final goal. Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, everyone caught it, but it was a play that didn't end up in a goal. Uh, if you go on my Twitter, shameless plug here, check it out. Mm-hmm. There's a, I posted the video of the move he has down the left wing where he combines with Sean Red Phillips at the top of the box. I mean, he just skins three TFC defenders and plays a perfect ball. Uh, Bendit comes up with the save, but that was a, a, a beautiful move and just, I think, a glimpse of what, you, uh, what you're going to see from Gonzalo Verón. They haven't unleashed him fully, obviously. He hasn't started yet. Uh, in my mind, I think this is more of a move for 2016, him being such a young DP. Uh, I think he has a lot to offer, and I think you, you saw a little bit of what he can bring to the table with uh, with his trickery, with his pace, and his distribution, because uh, it's definitely going to be an asset for New York going forward. And so very, very quietly... Bradley Wright Phillips has picked up his scoring total. I think he has, I think it's five in the last six games for Bradley, and he has 11 on the season, and he is actually creeping up on an interesting mark. The, the greatest two-season scoring mark in MLS history is, to the surprise of probably very few, Chris Wondolowski, who did, 20, who did 16 in 2012, I believe, and, and 27 in 2013. For 43 goals over two seasons, not bad. It it <laughs> not bad. Bradley now has 38 goals over two seasons, and with 11 matches to go, and only five goals to tie this record, it's kind of a strange record, I'll be honest. Um, that he's currently tied with. Wondolowski from an earlier part of his career, and Taylor Twellman, who also did 38 over two seasons. But when you when we talk about the evolution that we've seen in Bradley Wright Phillips, you know, here's a guy that doesn't necessarily have a World Cup 
champion getting on his case every time he misses an opportunity. And over this run, you really just get the feeling that his job is to score the goals. Like, that's his job, put the ball in the net, and he's doing it, frankly, with uh, wonderful regularity. Yeah, I think it's time if... uh if it hasn't already happened to put to bed that narrative that you know he only scored because of Thierry, because I mean he's showing that yes, of course he, he'll miss the odd chance here or there, and he's maybe not as clinical as Red Bull fans would like, but he's still putting it away. He's still getting chances, and he's still converting more often than not. Uh, I'm looking at a stat where he's he's fourth in the franchise history, uh, tied with Clint Mathis. So uh, you don't get there by accident. He's doing something right, and uh, you know he doesn't have the, the world class service that he did before, but just. Look at that uh, assist from from Mike Grella. That's uh, you know a, a thing of beauty right there. And he's he finds the right areas. He makes intelligent runs, and uh, he's just he's doing his job. That's what you pay a DP forward to do to score goals. That's right. And, you know you you can't really complain about the production he's getting from him so far. No, and and that kind of streak five goals in six games and six goals in eight games is uh, is wonderful. So let's uh, wrap a bow on Toronto at home. Uh, bull and cow time. Do you have a bowl for the three nothing win? Yeah, um, I don't. Maybe I, I can't go with a full back line. So as I just thought it was a very impressive performance. I guess I'll go with uh, Luis Robles, considering he made uh, an impressive double save there in the second half mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. moving in front of Miola for the shutout record. I think uh, that warrants enough for me for uh, for a bowl of the week. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. I'm going to give mine to Matt Miazga. Um, the the Red Bull strategy on Saturday was to, I don't want to say bruise Giovinco into submission, but they were they were very physical with him, and they wanted him to feel a little shy about coming in and getting close. And there was a great in the first half earlier in the match. Uh, there was a clip where Giovinco came down into the box, and Miazga who I think is three times as tall as Giovinco, wrapped his long legs uh, up past Giovinco and was able to sweep the ball away from him. And it really sent a message that this is going to be a long night for you, and you can't expect that this is going to go as well as maybe playing some team in the Bronx. Um, and sure enough, that was the case. So Miazga continues to impress week after week. Uh, two straight shutouts, you know, easily a 220-30 minute uh, shutout streak going right now. So things are doing re- really, really well um, for the Red Bulls in the back line. Seventh shutout of the year. So Miazga are bull. Now, do you have a cow, sir? Cow, it's it's tough on a week like this when you you have a three 0 win at home and uh, <laughs> everything not, goes not right. much went against the Red Bulls. So no. if I had to be nitpicky, which I don't think he had a you know necessarily poor performance, but uh, Sasha's performance of the night, where I think you know he he gave the ball away a little too cheaply. Uh, you know some of the link up play he he missed up on, uh, but I think you can chalk a lot of that up to you know speaking after the match, he said he's been playing for 15 straight months. And it, yeah. the grind is really wearing in these guys. Even Dax was saying after the NYCFC match, he just didn't feel like he had his legs. So these guys need a break, and uh, I'm willing to, you know, give them a break for uh, for maybe a less than stellar performance there. But if I had to, you know, gun to my head, I'll give it to Sasha here. Uh, had an assist on the on the Wallace goal, but and and to his credit, Question did say, and you referred to it, that he's not uh, in his best shape right now. He is run down. Yeah. And I thought that was also a great mark of a of a veteran uh, professional, right? Like I'm I'm not my best right now. I need a break. Um, Dan hates when I do this, but I'm going to give my cow of the week to Josie Altador, who he uh, yeah yeah. 
I mean, wow. Just so frustrated all night. Didn't take a shot all night. Um, stood around a lot. Glowered a lot. And for a guy who's making big-time bank, and, and I have been a, as big a Josie supporter as there is, and uh, the whole story, local boy, you know, original, uh, you know, 06, uh, 08, you know, big early Red Bull star, goes over to Europe and he's trying to find his way and he comes back and national team is, you know, came back from the Gold Cup. Like, Joe's is just not in a good place right now. And as a, as a fan of American soccer, I wanted to see more from him. I certainly didn't want him to score against the Red Bulls, but I wanted to see him engaged and dangerous and sharp, and that just wasn't it, man. And I think what, what compounds the issue there is, you know, obviously he's not scoring goals, which is, you know, every forward's job, but Jesse Marshall alluded to this after the game, is that uh, mm. the forwards, they don't do the little things. They, they may mention the fact that Jovinko and Altidore don't necessarily press the defenders, so they knew they'd have time to build out of the back, and if you're not scoring goals, I think you at least have to do the little things to help out your team defensively. You know, put pressure on the fullbacks, put pressure on the midfielders to, you know, just create a turnover, create something for your team if you're not putting the ball in the back of the net. And it, it was a little bit, if you're a USMNT fan, just a little bit disheartening not to see, uh, you know, that, that kind of performance from, you know, who's been, you know, the guy up top for the national team for the past, you know, five, six years now. And how damning from Jesse Marsh to pretty much say, yeah, th- these guys just don't have that great a work rate. Yep. It, I mean, and it showed. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they really just don't work for each other. Uh, and after you've just slaughtered them 3 0, it's just like. Insult. So, so, Sasha and Josie, to you. We can give it to Josie. He's a former Red Bull. Kind of counts, Dan. Dan enjoying the Pacific Northwest this week. Okay, so. The Red Bulls don't have a game this weekend, so uh, their next match is next Wednesday at Chicago. New, uh, New York not traditionally doing very well at at, uh, at Toyota Park, but uh, Chicago is still at the bottom of the MLS table. This will be the first of three matches they'll play, but we'll get to that next week. Uh, and then, of course, the D.C. match on the weekend. I want to just kind of spend a few minutes framing where the Red Bulls are, because I think for the first time... With 11 matches to go and end this week off, it's a nice time to pause and say, you know, is this team for real? And I, I think they are definitely for real. And I think it, it'll be very, very interesting to see where they wind up. Let me just frame where the shield race, folks. That's right, the shield race, because the Red Bulls are actually very, very uh, close to being at the top of the shield race. DCU right now, 44 points. They have eight to play, plus four CONCACAF Champions League matches. Uh, They're playing, I believe, in Panama tonight. L.A., one point back with eight to play, four home, four away, and they have to make two trips to Central America in the CCL, although they've won both their home games and should cruise through. They are taking, going to be taking players um, to Central America. Vancouver, 42 points with nine to play. Six of those are at home, which is certainly in Vancouver's advantage, but they have three CONCACAF games to play, and they have the Canadian Championship Final against uh, Montreal. That's at home as well. So, the, uh, New York has two matches at hand on them, and they're only three points behind them. But they, they've got a lot more games to play, and that'll mean a lot of week-night week, uh, action. 
Kansas City is the one club, I think if there's one chief rival right now, maybe Kansas City, one point ahead of New York in the standings, but they've played one fewer game than the Red Bulls. Um, Kansas City is actually playing tonight, and uh, they are hosting San Jose at 8.30, and you know you want to be a San Jose Earthquakes fan uh, Wednesday. Um, San Jose definitely not favored to do particularly well in that game. They have 12 to play, one tonight, and they have to travel to Philadelphia for the U.S. Open Cup final um, later in the year, which I think all Red Bulls fans would really like them to win. The Red Bulls, right? 39 points, 11 to play, 6 at home, 5 away, 3 against Chicago, uh, 1 against Philadelphia. Uh, The one trip to Portland will be telling because Portland is also tied with New York on 39 points. They have 9 games to play, 5 at home, including 1 against the Red Bulls and 4 away. And then lastly, Dallas, 38 points, 1 behind New York, even on games with New York, 5 games at home, 6 away. The good news is that the Western teams, L.A., Vancouver, Kansas City, Portland, and Dallas, are all going to be playing each other, right, down the stretch. And they're going to be knocking each other around, and they're going to be taking points off each other. You want to root for a whole lot of ties in games there. And it really is, I mean, New York has only games versus the East except for the trip to Portland. And um, that's going to be a must-win, frankly, if New York wants to be the Shield leader and the 30th against D.C. So uh, all to play for, as they say. Um, But New York is in a pretty good place with three matches in hand against their number one rival. Yeah, it's interesting. Me and Dave were actually uh, at practice on Tuesday, and we mentioned... Dave, that that guy that you know sometimes. Comes Dave Martinez. Out. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. We were uh, we mentioned uh, you know that you know the supporter shield is kind of in their sights right now, being just five points off the pace. And uh, in particular, we talked to Luis Robles, who obviously was part of that 2013 team that you know took home the shield. And you know he readily admitted that it's not really in their sights as of right now. Uh, he he mentioned in 2013 they only started looking at the shield very seriously. Uh, when they got that big result in Seattle where Tim Cahill uh, scored the equalizer mm-hmm. against, who was then the, fr- the front runners for the Shield in, in Sounders. Uh, so with 11 games left, he said it's a little bit premature to be looking at that. And he specifically noted that the, the coaching staff had broken this season down into quadrants where they have point goals for e- every quarter of the season. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned that in the first two, they hadn't met their point goals. So he's, he was basically saying that how can we look at the shield when we haven't even met our first goals yet? So they're taking things, you know, as cliche as it is, game by game. And, you know, the only thing on their mind right now is Chicago. So, you know, if they keep on this streak, there's no denying it. There's no way they're going to be able to avoid the questions of the shield. And is it, you know, on their minds? Because, you know, they're just, you know, running up the table as we speak. But uh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Because, as you mentioned, there's so many teams that are right there in the thick of it. A lot of teams in the thick of it, just so MLS likes it. August is, in fact, New York's best month of the season. They're 3-0-1 in August so far for 10 points. Their best uh, month uh, other than that was March when they, they picked up 7 points. So, And two matches to play still in August. This is a team, and we've talked about it on Seeing Red, this is usually a summer swoon type of uh, franchise, and things are going well. In fact... New York is having, frankly, a, a historically great season, and the team may set records. They have the ability 
to set records in both uh, wins. Club record for wins is 17, in, twice set in 2013, the Shield season, and in 2000. And then in points per game, right now they're on 1.7 points per game. 2013, it was 1.74 points per game. So, um, you know, a lot of Red Bulls fans, and we got a lot of uh, letters last week saying, what do I complain about? <laughs> What's what, the change, what, change of pace for them? They're not used to this. It, they're, they're not used to it. And it's exciting, and um, when you get to Dax and what he has to say, I think you'll be excited as well. So we're going to go to that right now. When we're back, uh, take a step away for just a quick second. We'll bring in the captain of the New York Red Bulls. That's Dax McCarty. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Eric Giacometti tonight. Riding guest host style, and guest guest style is one of our absolute favorite Red Bulls guests. Uh, he is the captain of the New York Red Bulls, number 11, Dax McCarty. How are you tonight, Dax? I'm doing very well, guys. Thanks. How are you guys? We're great. We're sorry it's been so long since we talked to you. We've, uh, we've got a lot, of, a lot of your teammates in. Uh, you've had a very busy six months, I would imagine. We sure have. Yeah, I was starting to think you guys didn't like me anymore. No, no, no. Let's start uh, with TFC. Obviously, here's a team that comes in with tons of offensive firepower. They have a guy who is lining up the league, and you guys not only uh, scored two on them, but you completely snuffed them out in the defensive half in the field. How did this happen? And talk to us about your thoughts on the Toronto game. Yeah, I think it was one of our best games of the season, and... I think after the uh, the little swoon we had in the summer, in the beginning of summer, you know, we lost four games in a row. Um, you know, we didn't panic, and, and that was the main thing. Uh, you know, we've, we've had this, I'll call it a quiet confidence about our group the entire season. When people, when a lot of people wrote us off in the beginning of the year, you know, because we lost a lot of great players, um, we just, we went about our business and, and we kept quietly gaining confidence and and trying to become the team that I think everyone is seeing today. And it takes time. uh, It takes a lot of effort. um, It takes a lot of days on the training field, but I think what everyone saw against Toronto FC and and I think even in a broader scale uh, over the past four weeks or so, uh, I think is sort of the culmination of of all that hard work and, and this system that Jesse and the whole coaching staff is trying to implement. We knew it was going to be a tough game against Toronto, one of the most explosive teams in the league. Uh, we were missing two or three guys on defense that you would probably consider starters that have been starters for most of the year. Um, but we're, or I told, I was telling Eric this, I think the other day, it's just we're not a team that is solely relying on individual players anymore. We're a team that's relying on a system of play. And anytime you do that, you theoretically should be able to plug players in that, you know, maybe aren't at the same level as a guy that's supposed to be a starter, but those guys are going to be able to do just as good of a job because the system allows them to, to do that, if that makes sense. Um, so we have a system here that, that is just starting to flourish, and, and people are starting to see the fruits of all the hard work we put in, uh, and especially the coaching staff. You have to give them a ton of credit. So when, we have, when we're missing players – it's a next man up mentality. The next guy steps up, and, and a lot of teams can talk about depth, but I think we're, we're a team that 
can sit here and prove that no matter who is out, no matter who's injured, we're going to have a, a guy that's going to be able to step in. And because of the system we play, because of uh, the way we try to play, uh, that guy's going to be able to come in and do a good job. So we haven't accomplished anything. Obviously, beating Toronto and keeping them at bay uh, was a team effort. Defensively, um, you know, there's clarity in the roles that everyone has. And we're just trying to keep some momentum going towards the end of the season. We're feeling uh, pretty good right now, but we're not going to start, uh, you know, thinking we've won anything yet. Dex, you look back at the last month, month plus, and uh, you guys are in quite a bit of good form. I think you're, you know, you're six one and one in your last eight. Uh, how do you balance that, you know, that hot form and you know the, the good run of form you guys are on right now with a little bit of a layoff now? I mean, I know you guys need to rest up bodies. How are you guys looking at approaching this break? Is it a good thing, or would you guys prefer to stay on the field and kind of take advantage of this hot streak? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I think right now, me personally, um, you know, I would love to can, to still be on the field, still keep playing. Um, but I think logically speaking, uh, with the amount of games that we've had over the summer and the injuries we have and the, the heavy legs that we have, I mean, I'll, I'll readily admit that you know the past couple games have been a you know even though it might not look that way. It's been tough. It's been tough to get through, especially the NYCFC game. I just felt like I didn't have my legs under me. And I think the break comes at a pretty good time for us because, you know, we have a couple guys injured that, that we're looking forward to getting back healthy. Um, you know, we have some heavy legs that we're looking forward to getting some rest. So, you know, it's a good question, but ultimately I think the break comes at a good time for us. We want to recharge the batteries. We want to refocus our energy on, on the games that we have ahead of us and not the games that we've played in the past. We're, we're pretty happy about the way the past seven, eight weeks have gone for us results-wise. Um, but we still can give more. I mean, I think that's the beauty about this team is that uh, every video session we do and every time I step off the field, I'm, I'm always thinking, you know, what can we improve? What can we do better? How can we be a better team? Um, and I think Toronto was a really good step forward for us in terms of limiting their chances. Um, you know, a really comprehensive victory, if you will. So, Anytime you play against, you know, what a lot of people consider being the, the best player in the league and, and, you know, you frustrate him and don't give him any good, good looks, you're doing something right defensively. So if we can continue this path we're on in terms of 11 guys defending and 11 guys attacking, um, you know, the break, get guys healthy, uh, I think we can look at it and certainly say it came at a good time. Dax, one player who is, I guess, trying his best to integrate himself into the team is the team's second DP, Gonzalo Verón. We saw him play just at the end of the game, and I think a lot of Red Bulls fans are very excited by what he saw, obviously creating, scoring his first goal as a Red Bull. What have you seen from Gonzalo on the training pitch? And tell us a little bit about him and his game, if you would. Yeah, Gonzalo uh, Gonzalo is going to fit right in with our group, and our fans are going to love him. Uh, it's It's been hard uh, for him to come in because we've had a ton of games recently, and, and we haven't really been able to train with him too much. Uh, and obviously you see him come off the bench a few times. We're in a really good run of form right now, so it's hard, it's hard to change the team up, you know, and give a guy that probably is eager to get on the field from the start and deserves to start. It's hard for us to to get in the game because we've, you know, we've had, we've been playing so well right now. So, um, the, the one thing I'll say about him is he, he's really humble, uh, and he's really eager. He's really eager to prove himself and to, to come to this league and, and, and show people what he's all about. So 
you've seen the flashes in the games, um, and, and I think generally speaking, what you've seen in the games is, is what he's going to bring, you know, all the time throughout a 90-minute game, uh, whether he plays from the start and, and plays all 90 minutes or whether he comes off the bench in training, you'll see it. He's very technical. His first touch is, is one of the best that I've seen uh, since I've been at Red Bull, and you can just tell that that comes from a guy who's played at the highest level, and typically South American players are, are very technical players to begin with, but his first touch is, is truly incredible, and, and it's one of those where, um, you know, you can give him a ball in, in a difficult situation, whether he's got a guy on his back, whether he's facing goal, and, and he's pretty much going to be able to uh, manipulate it in any way he wants to be able to take a guy on, set himself up for a shot, make a pass. Um, so I know I know the fans are probably really eager to see him get on the field from the start, and I think he is as well. I, I really think he's he's been patient and he's still you know integrating himself into the team. He doesn't speak English, but he's eager. He, he's getting to know the guys. He's he's starting to see how we play and, and the type of continuity and the camaraderie that we have in our group. And I think it's been a good transition for him. So. He's a really exciting player. He's a really exciting talent, and he's a guy who's just going to help us and get us better. He's very versatile. He can play in a lot of different positions. Um, so I think one thing that you'll see is, is Jesse's going to have a lot of tough decisions ahead of him, and that's a good thing. You want that. You want competition in the team. I think Lloyd Zam and Mike Grella have both had unbelievable seasons. So to bring a guy in like Gonzalo who's going to push them to be even better, uh, I think that'll that'll be great for our team, and so I'm sure one of these days Jeffy is going to give him a run out from the start, and you guys will be able to see the full bag. Um, but yeah, right now we're in a good run right now, and I think he's just happy to be a part of it. Dex, we talked a little bit about it on uh, on Tuesday, but can you just share with our listeners uh, some of the you know the things about Con- you know Connor Lade and Anthony Wallace, Carly Met, these guys that are maybe fringe players that uh, that have really stepped into the starting lineup and had a seamless transition. Can you talk about maybe, you know, Red Bulls 2 and how that's implemented and just the the clarity from top to bottom? Yeah, uh, Red Bull 2 has been been truly unbelievable. I think in so many different ways, it's been such a positive step forward for MLS. Um, And I think it was only logical that this was going to be the next step in the evolution of Major League Soccer was the fact that you had to start integrating... um, uh, not only just the academies, but a way for your reserve team players and your young players that you want to, that are on the first team but don't get minutes, um, a way to integrate them into a professional environment. I mean, me as a guy that's been around for a long time, back in 2006, 2007, 2008, when I wasn't playing as consistently, you know, I'll, I'll readily admit that the reserve games were just a joke that we played in, you know, and, and it wasn't, there, there wasn't. It wasn't taken seriously. Um, you know, guys didn't care about the games. It was the morning after the the, the first team game, and uh, a lot of times guys just didn't want to be on the field. And you, it was tough to get a lot out of it. So now I think when we see young guys like Connor, like Wally, like Carl, we met like a Sean Davis, a Leo Stoltz, these types of players who you can see have uh, an amazing amount of ability and talent, but they can only sh- they can only show it in training. Uh, I think now you bring in this environment of, of a professional environment, teams that have been established for years now, uh, that pay their players, that have their own fan bases, that play in tough stadiums, tough environments on the road. Uh, I mean, this type of growth is essential for these kids to get games. Um, and if you play against you know guys in training, you can only develop so much, and that's just the, the bottom line. That's the way it is. So for these guys to be able to step on the field, uh, with fans in the seats, 
with games that mean something uh, and games that are, are, are very important games uh, with stuff on the line. That just shows you how far that you know these players are going to come, and in the development of of MLS is is certainly on the right level and the right track. And speaking of the three defenders you mentioned, Wally, Connor, and Carl, I mean, you know, you can't really say enough about what the the job they did against Toronto, and more specifically, um, you know, Anthony. Every time he stepped in for Kamara or Roy, uh, he's been great, and I think I don't think we've lost with him in the lineup, Connor. It's a tough situation with Chris going down, but like I told you the other day, you know, there's not one guy in our entire organization and our, or our entire team that didn't have confidence that Connor could step in and do a great job. And w- the way that he goes about training every single day, uh, his attitude, his drive, his determination to get better uh, and, and to be the best player he can is just second to none on our team, and I really mean that. Um, and then, of course, Carl uh, is a guy that Jesse knows and that he had in Montreal, and he sees his ability and, and uh, everything that he brings to the table. And I think Carl, every time he stepped on the field, um, you know, he's played well above his years. He's a young guy. You know, he's 22 years old, but he's already getting caps for Canada. He's already uh, trying to establish himself as, as more of a leader of the young guys and a guy who can, you know, step on the field at any moment. So this is just the culture that we're trying to create. Uh, you know, with the Red Bulls in the in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, the way that the organization is, is heading now, you're going to start to see a lot of young guys that are coming through the system that are going to be able to step up and contribute on a regular basis. And these three are just, uh, you know, the start of something, I think, very special for this organization. Well, Dex, it, it's, a, it's been a special season already, and you've been a part of a couple of very, very good Red Bulls teams. This team this year uh, is poised, with 11 games left in the season, to set some high-water marks in club history in the 20th year. You, you said earlier in our chat that the team is very uh, focused on the next game. You understand that you guys haven't won a thing, uh, which is true. And so I'm just kind of curious, as the captain, how are you taking that message all the way down the roster? Yeah, let's, uh, the message that I think is uh, everyone is, is preaching is let's keep a level head here. Um, you know, we didn't get, we didn't get too low uh, when things weren't going well for us earlier in the season. Uh, we stayed confident, we stayed positive, and we didn't get too high when we started out unbeaten. And we didn't start, um, you know, thinking that our... Uh, our stuff didn't stink, so to speak. So I think once you once you figure out, you know, how to keep an even keel in every sense of the word, um, that's when you really start to build a team that's built for success. And I think that this run right here is starting to show a little bit of maturity from our team. Because I think when we started the season out, <clears throat> everything was new. Everything was fresh. There was a lot of excitement from the guys that we were getting good results and, and we were probably out even surprising ourselves a little bit with, with how, we're, how we were playing and the level we were playing at. And then we come back down to earth a little bit with our losses, but we don't ever let negativity seep into the team. Um, and now I think we're starting to see uh, the, the ability and the capability that this team really has right now. Um, are we perfect? By no means. You know, we have a long way to go. Uh, and, and a lot of people are saying a lot of nice things about us, and that's all well and good. But uh, to be honest, uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, honestly, it doesn't matter what anyone says about you, good or bad. And I think that's, that's I firmly believe that. Um, it's nice to hear nice things about yourself, but at the same time, uh, until you, you're lifting that trophy and you have a ring on your finger, 
um, the only way to get better is just to come to work every day and know that, you know, you have more to give, know that you're capable of more. So for us, we try to keep a level head. We, we try to make sure that everyone realizes that, uh, you know, just because we win a couple of games in a row doesn't mean we're, we're, we're going to get anything or doesn't mean we're meant to get anything. That That's absolutely not how it works. MLS is a very competitive league. And if you're not ready to play every single game, every time you step on the field, if you're not ready to fight and battle and scrap and claw your way to three points, you're not going to get them. So uh, that's the mentality we have, and, and we have a lot of good veterans. Uh, you know, I have so much help from Sasha and Lloyd and Luis, uh, Bradley Wright Phillips, these guys that have been here with me for a while now, and they, I think we, we feel the agony and the pain that the fans have had for so long of not winning the MLS Cup and we realize that that's the ultimate goal, and the only way to get there is to to stay level and to not uh, not get too far ahead of yourself. So, our main focus is Chicago. Three points in Chicago, and that's it. Dax, moving from you know the club level to the national team picture, you know a lot of chatter always comes up around you know who deserves to be in the national team picture, who maybe you know shouldn't have a spot there, and two of the names that I find always crop up are yourself and Benny Fellhaber, who uh, saw some time with the national team has fallen off, but. Uh, where do you see yourself in that picture? And do you think maybe your your lack of inclusion of those teams is due to a glut in center midfield, or what do you break that down to? Yeah, I mean it's a uh, it's a fair question, you know. And, and I've uh, I've done my best to try to give the politically correct answers all the time. But the fact, the truth is, <laughs> is that you know, I honestly, I mean, the, the truth is, is that it's hard. You know, it's hard to. To, to try to say the right things all the time, and the bottom line is that it's uh, it's frustrating, you know, and it's it's certainly something that I think once you've tasted what the national team feels like, and once you've gotten a few caps under your belt, and once you've represented your country, and you know that there's no better feeling in the world than to put on that crest and to to represent, you know, a, a nation so as big as the U.S. and as important as the U.S. Um, it's a sport that you love. I mean, that's something you want to feel over and over again. And the competition is, is fierce. There's no question about it. There are tons of good players that are fighting for very few spots. Um, but at a certain moment, you know, you start to get frustrated and you start to say to yourself, you know, maybe this will never happen for me again. Um, so the way that I've tried to look at it is, is the exact same way I've tried to look at stuff with the Red Bulls. Uh, try to keep a level head. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. Just because a couple people say you deserve to be there, um, you know, Maybe you don't. Maybe you still have to do more. And the, the, the reality of, of all professional sports is it doesn't really matter what 99% of the people on the outside think. It only matters what one person thinks. One person is the one pretty much making the decisions on a daily basis. Who's going to play? Who's going to make the team? Who's going to get a contract? Uh, you know, who's going to get transferred? All these decisions are, are made by a very small, minute, group of people. Um, and so, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann is the only one that can answer that question. And the only thing that I can do and that guys like Benny Fallhaber can do is just continue to plug away, continue to keep playing and, and try to push yourself to be even better. Um, you know, I, I'm not getting called in for a reason. And all the guys that, that don't get called in that maybe people feel deserve to be there, they're not getting called in for a reason. And that's because other people are ahead of them on the depth chart. So I have no choice but to try to outplay guys like Michael Bradley, guys like Kyle Beckerman, guys like Danny Williams, uh, Perry Kitchen, all these guys that are playing my position that might be ahead of me on the depth chart. I just have to keep trying to plug away and, and, and trying to uh, to prove that, you know, while I wish our national team success and I really want them to do well, 
uh, the only thing that you can try to do is prove that you deserve to be there and helping the team. So that's what I do. My focus is just on the Red Bulls, trying to play well for New York and trying to lead us to a championship. That's something that I, I, I so badly want to do, um, something that I've just you know dreamed about for, for a long time now, that the national team stuff kind of gets on the back burner. If it happens, great. I'm going to be the happiest guy uh, that I can be. But uh, at the same time, like I said, uh, it's all well and good what, what other people say, but at the end of the day, reality is it only it only matters what one person thinks. So I'm going to have to do uh, continue to try to do my best to uh, to not let them keep me out of the team. Well, I'll tell you that Red Bull fans uh, all around the region and the country are definitely rooting for you in that endeavor. Dax McCarty not only wears number 11 for the New York Red Bulls and not only is the captain, he is now sixth on the all-time appearance list in club history and should be, by the time the season comes to an end, third on that list. Dax McCarty, thank you so much for joining us tonight on Seeing Red. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I just got chills hearing that. I had no idea I was that close. Wow, that's it's, cool. It's uh, part of the furniture, my friend. There you your go. E- All right, your, e- your emails after this at seeingred at backheel.com. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back to Seeing Red, New York Soccer Roundup. Mark and Eric here with you. You having fun, Eric? I'm enjoying myself. Real good time. It's a good show, man. Love it. This, this is fun. Uh, every week we ask you for emails and voicemails. You can email us at mfishkin. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> You can email us at seeingredny at gmail.com, or you can call us 973-602-9161 any time, day or night, and leave a message on our voicemail, and we have one to start us off. Hey, guys. It is Derby from uh, Sunnyside, Queens. I um, you know, I, I imagine that this show is going to have a lot of really optimistic people, and i got to be honest, I went back and listened to the season preview where Dave said that the Red Bulls would be fighting for the could be could be fighting for the final playoff spot. Um, given that 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 would probably take an epic collapse at this point. Um, right now, what do you guys see as uh, the end to a successful season? If we if we do nothing other than get back to a semifinal, is that a successful season? Or at this point, we really look at at uh, getting to the the cup final or possibly winning a shield as being the mark of success. Thanks guys. Love the show and um, looking forward to it. Bye. So 11 matches to go. Uh, the team is 11, six and six, which is great. They are uh, one sports statistics site says they are a lock for the playoffs. Although obviously mathematically they haven't clinched yet where, how, you know, this team came up one goal short of MLS Cup last year with a very expensive lineup. What do we think is success in 2015? I think it's uh, a, a bit unfair if you were to say that the only metric for success would be to get past where the Red Bulls got in 2014 because the makeup of these two teams are in no way similar. So I think you have to kind of look at this team in a vacuum and say, where was this team uh, when it was first assembled back in January, what were our expectations then? And because I think it's easy for a lot of people to forget where this team was when uh, when Pecky was fired, when Ali took over, when Jesse was appointed as the head coach, and to to see where they are now. Because I think if you were to ask most fans what they were expecting of this team, with you know a very low payroll, 
that, you know, making the playoffs, you know, and squeaking in as, you know, five or six seed would have been a, a decent season considering, you know, you're missing Tim Cahill, you're missing Thierry Henry, all these big names that have gone away from the club. So to, to look at where this team is right now, it, of course, the season's been a success so far. Uh, if you're looking to amend your expectations for the season, of course, you're going to want them to, to make a run at MLS Cup because this team is talented enough to do so. They have the pieces uh, in place right now to make a run all the way to the final. There's really, not to not to harp on it, but there's no reason that they shouldn't. Oh, my they, God. They should, there's no reason that. That's it. That's your last time hosting. <laughs> That's it. Goodbye. Thank you for your time. Have you learned nothing, my friend? I'm, I'm not a superstitious man myself. Holy cow. I have no qualms. People come at me. Feel free to direct your hate towards me. Come at him, bro. <laughs> but if you look at the way this team is constructed and the depth that this team has shown that they have, you can't, you can't see a way, bar injuries, bar suspensions, what have you, uh, that they can't make a run. They have the talent to do so. In MLS, it's very often about getting hot at the right time and making that right playoff run and having things fall into place. But if you look from a talent perspective with the pieces they've added and the savvy business moves they made with, you know, the inexpensive Mike Grella and Kamar Lawrence, these guys that have come in and done a great job, they can they can do it, if you ask me. Um, it's interesting. The team's playing very well. There's a very long way to go. A very long way to go. It, it appears that this team will be a playoff team, barring some sort of horrific event. Team has got to stay healthy. I believe wholeheartedly that this team will be incredibly focused, and the team will be um, playing, as Dak said, one game at a time. Um, obviously, funny bounces, strange cards, suspensions, injuries are always possible. But if anything's been proven, it's that the team can weather injuries and suspensions and continue to play well. Now, that said... Uh, Anatola Bong, who had been scoring goals and playing well, has kind of fallen off the depth chart a bit, and Bradley's been doing well. Remember, at the beginning of the season, we were all about, well, if Bradley gets hurt, then it's all over, right? And you know, we could say the same thing about our guest tonight, Dax, or Felipe, or Lloyd Sam, or Grella, and yet the the second team has proven to be just as valuable. So... You know, I think uh, conference finals or bust would certainly make it um, a a fantastic year. The team has the opportunity, as we see. Maybe a month from now, we can talk seriously about the shield. But um, I'll say it right now. I mean, Jesse Marsh, you have to think has got to be, if not a shoe in for Coach of the Year, given the the size of the salary uh, cap, that salary list that he's working with, salary base, uh, a shoe in for Coach of the Year. I mean, just a phenomenal job in year one to do this is. Is terrific. So thank you so much for the call. Three emails. The number one email will win uh, four lower bowl tickets and pregame warm-ups on the field. Very exciting. Here's PJ Ewing who writes, uh, Eric and partial full none at all Voltron. Well, you're, you're, you're being addressed straight up. I here. love it. So, so you can surmise that the networks in Major League Soccer are thinking about ratings so far this year. I ask because our New York Derby matches must have brought some good ratings, but I don't have the resources to find out. And with hotbeds like Orlando jumping on board, there must be a general upward trend. At least I hope so. I'm a devoted listener to you all. I believe that the Derby matches have been well rated in comparison to last season. They are nothing like the games that Seattle plays in, though, to be brutally, brutally honest. And 
and L.A., those two teams in particular draw ratings like 2x what um, the, the New York Derbies are doing. Remember, you know, folks around the country don't necessarily get off on New York, New York the way New Yorkers do. Um, so the ratings have been decent. I think the ratings in general have increased year over year, for sure. I don't think it's the massive increase, and we'll, we'll get back to you on a future show and find out uh, exactly what we're talking about. But, uh, you know, we're not seeing a, a doubling of ratings year over year, which is incredibly rare, and, uh, and you have to have a steady growth here. Yeah, we're, we're you know, for the most part, you're not going to see a huge bump in TV ratings. That's just the way it is in the climate with... Uh, with the way soccer is in terms of the landscape of American sports, uh, as much growth as we've seen, it still has quite a ways to go before it can really make a dent in there. Uh, and, and you alluded to it with the New York-New York uh, rivalry there, and, and that doesn't really have a national draw. If you look at the 2000 World Series with the Mets and Yankees, that's one of the most uh, poorly watched yep. World Series of all time because when you have one market of interest, right. what's the rest of the country care about to tune in? So, I mean... There's there's only so much that I think you can expect from you know from soccer on TV. Uh, I, there has been growth; it has grown as quickly as people would expect. Maybe not, but I think uh, the fact that they have dedicated time slots now, where in years past they never did, is a huge mm-hmm. plus for this league. Where you have you know your Fridays on on Univision and you have the Sunday night football with ESPN and Fox Sport One, uh, you know, splitting those up. So I think. That's a, a big plus for this league, and I think over time you'll start to see slowly but surely the, those numbers going up. For sure. Here's friend of the show, Grant McCool, who says, Mark and Eric, thanks for keeping the podcast going. It's enjoyable as ever. Thanks, Grant. According to my Twitter timeline, at least, we appear to be at the point of the season where rabid Rebels fans are asking questions along the lines of, everything is going great. When is the quote-unquote nightmare of results and competence going to end so we can feel sorry for ourselves again? Grant has an answer. This is the third really good season in a row, despite coaching and player changes. Don't forget, a core of players have been in the squad all along. Robles, McCarty, Miller, Sam, BWP, and we, Connor, laid the Lionheart. So just enjoy the ride as much as we did in 2013 with the Shield and 2014's oh-so-close coming to the uh, MLS Cup Final. And he adds, too... Red Bulls are going to win the Shield again, aren't we? Going to win MLS Cup by beating the Stars off the Galaxy, right? The answer is... The Red Bulls haven't won anything yet. I think Grant was listening to our chat with Dax. And, uh, so put the trumpet down, stay behind the team, and enjoy yourselves until we find out what is at the other end of the season's rainbow. All the best, Grant. Grant, obviously one of the most grounded Red Bull fans out there, but, you know, it's, it's okay to get excited. This is the team is playing very, very well at a good point in the season. So. Yeah, I think enjoy the ride is probably the perfect word <laughs> to, to describe this because... I think I've had this conversation with colleagues before that most Red Bull fans are overly negative on the team, I think, as a, you know, as a protective measure for themselves, a defense mechanism, because <laughs> they don't want to get too excited because, oh, well, if I get up and then they crush me again, I'll have my heart broken. So they're very, uh, you know, very measured in the way that they support this team, which I, I guess I can understand. You know, I'm a Mets fan, so I've been there. I know that heartache mm-hmm. comes with high expectations. But as for right now, there's nothing to not be excited about with this team. I mean, for, for all the people clamoring for a young DP, you got that. You have That's Americans right. in your lineup, you've got that. You yep. have a, a team first mentality, you've got that. I mean, youth, youth development, you've got Integration that. from top to bottom. You have a USL team playing the exact same style as the first team. There are just so many positives surrounding this team right now that I feel like people are maybe looking at 
you know, things are going too well. There's it, the, the next hurdle is right around the corner. We're going to trip up. But I think enjoy the ride for what it is. Right now, this team is playing just as well as you could expect this team to do. And, you know, will they win the Shield? Maybe, maybe not, because there's just so much intense competition. Uh, you know, those Western teams are so strong. There's a, a lot of teams ahead of them. Uh, well, on par with them, you know, right now with the, with the games in hand and all that. But for right now, just take it in stride and uh, try not to get too down waiting for that next uh, slip up. There you go. The winner of our weekly prize, which is four lower bowl tickets and field passes to watch warm-ups, is Jeremiah from Brooklyn, who writes, Fellas, I want to ask you a question about personnel and formation for the team. Obviously, I have to start with a caveat that the old adage of don't fix what ain't broke certainly applies to the group in spades at the moment. But we have the important part of the season still to come, and I can't help but ruminate on the personnel situation we currently find ourselves in. Jeremiah is ruminating. We've acknowledged all season that we're thin in backline options, and now with the recent acquisitions, we're stacked as ever in options going forward. So my question is this. Are we playing the best, or maybe even the only formation that truly works for us? <clears throat> what are our formation options if we start to come off the rails down the stretch? We have an attacking-heavy roster, but play a defensive player-heavy formation. I recognize that this allows us to move forward from a stable base, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on some ways we could get more out of our attacking players on the field that wouldn't sacrifice the team's balance. Feeling good about our chances at the Shield or at least a high-seed finish, given that we have more games in hand than anyone else in the top five, barring only KC, who have a much tougher run of final games, which is true. Jeremiah from Brooklyn. <clears throat> uh, an interesting take and an interesting question. W where do you see uh, an area that the Red Bulls could switch things up? I see Jeremiah wants to have his cake and eat it, too, with all of these positives in his team. But, uh, I mean, there's there are a couple changes. I think that's... That, that could be made. That's the, the, the one good thing about the versatility between uh, a lot of these attacking players that the Red Bulls have brought on. Uh, I've asked Jesse about this specifically, about you know where can Gonzalo play, where can Sean Wright Hills play. And they all have you know multiple positions where they can play. They can play out wide. They can play underneath the striker. Mike Grella, can play, he's been playing left midfield. He can play as a striker. He can play in the hole. Sasha can play a little bit deeper. So there's a lot of tinkering that can be done uh, should that you know, be necessary if there's a, a problem later in the season where they're leaking goals, they need to become a little more compact. Uh, they haven't uh, experimented with the two-forward uh, formation. It's been Bradley up top by himself all year. They could do that if needed be. Uh, so there are definitely options uh, for them defensively, offensively. And uh, as you've seen with the way that uh, the reserves have filled them on the back line, they might not have the, the higher profile names, uh, considering they've just added two big names in the attack. But yep. they've all filled in quite nicely, as we've talked about with Connor Lee, Carl Met, Anthony Wallace, all of these guys that are fringe players but have stepped in seamlessly and done the job. Uh, Red Bulls are con you know, conceded an MLS low 25 goals, so they're doing something right. And there's only one team in the league that scored more than them, and that's the LA Galaxy, who've played one more game. So here you have a team that has the best goal differential in the league, has allowed the fewest... And his second most in goals scored, um, I, I think things are going okay. But nevertheless, Jeremiah, we really appreciate the question. And that's what you have to ask. Those are the questions you have to ask when things are all seemingly going right. And, you know, how can this be better? And you heard it from Dax. We haven't won anything. We can play better, and we will play better. So um, really, really good stuff. And so that your prize will be headed your way. So 
I think we've come to the end. Did you have fun, Eric? This was great. As someone who listened to the show from way, way back when, when uh, it was you, Dave, and, and Nate, now it's uh, wow. guest hosting is, uh, is pretty wild. So definitely very grateful to the Seeing Red crew for having me aboard. Well, we're very, very happy you were able to take part. We want to thank Captain Dax McCarty of the New York Red Bulls for calling in and having a great chat with us. And, of course, we'd like to thank you for listening. I will not be here next week in the ever-revolving, seeing-red, revolving host rotation, but uh, perhaps Dave, Dan will be back. Maybe it'll be Eric. You never know who's going to show. Tune in next time to find out. Tune in, to, tune in and find out. But thank you so much for listening to this week's Seeing Red, and we'll talk to you next week. Good night, everyone. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com. 